homage to the blessed, the noble, the fully self-awakened one. Today is the 19th of July, 2023, the fifth day of our online retreat together. We enter this online course and it's something that we do uh, continuously every year. And this is a good opportunity before the monastic Sangha enters the yearly rains retreat, various senior monks from the different branch monasteries, whether from close by or far away, they come to gather here at Wat Mapchan to pay respects, ask forgiveness, and to uh, ask permission before going to spend the rains retreat at various locations. And so this is a good opportunity we have, and we make use of this good opportunity. The Sangha is ready and here to teach the Dhamma before the range retreat starts. And then we can take those teachings to use during the range retreat, take that training and practice of meditation that we've done on this retreat and use it during the range retreat period. So this is something very important that helps us to cultivate more parami, spiritual virtues, to cultivate our parami further. Because you all have faith already, you have effort, whether you're close or far, it's the same, because we're all practicing, when we practice, we're close to the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. Whenever you have mindfulness and clear awareness, then you're close to the Buddha at that time. And so we need to train these minds with our meditation object, our kamatana. We need to train in having mindfulness in the present. It is a saying of the wise that, why think of that which is past? And why think of that which is yet to come? But set mindfulness to be in the present establish mindfulness well in the present. And this is what leads to wisdom, the wisdom to see and know the Dhamma, that which we are deluded by before we come to know it clearly, that which we used to take as self, as me and mine, we see it clearly in the present, that it arises and ceases, arises and ceases. We see everything arises and ceases, we become weary of it, we lose our liking for it, lose our attraction to it, we feel weary of the world. And it's not that we feel weary like we want to die or want to leave, it's not like that. We feel weary of this experience of mental conditions and external sense contact that are unstable weary of sense phenomena that are unstable. Because we see that these things don't last, they don't endure, so we can't keep taking them as a self. It's just like the Diga Naka Brahman, the nephew of Venerable Sariputta, he felt very weary of life as well. He saw that life was unsure, had no essence, no heartwood. And so, given that life was like that, he wanted to seek out purity. And this was the thought of a Brahmin 
he wasn't just playing around. He really wanted purity. He wanted to find a place where no one had died before. He wanted to die in a pure place. So the meaning of this is that his mind wanted purity, wanted the pure mind. So he went to seek out this purity on the outer level first. And he thought that this would bring him ease. And when he reached that place where he thought no one had died, he didn't feel more relaxed and his mind became more peaceful. So he had samadhi as a foundation at that point. And he had wisdom to a certain degree, the wisdom to seek out purity, to feel weary of the world uh, through wisdom. And if we feel weary and just want to run away, then that's another kind of suffering in the mind. It's not correct. One needs to practice to seek a way to cure the experience of suffering in the present, to understand the Dhamma deeply. We do this through practicing with our meditation object, which is very important in our practice, and to listen to the Dhamma, to cultivate and build mindfulness and wisdom and to know, clearly understand, through listening to Dhamma, the proper way of practice. The way to seek out the end of suffering, to seek Buddha, to give rise to Buddha in the heart, which is to say, to see the Dhamma. Because one who sees the Dhamma sees the Buddha, because the Buddha is in the Dhamma. If we go back to the time of the Buddha, if we go back to the time of the Buddha, one is able to see the physical body of the Buddha. One only sees the physical body. This is the, the body or the human that is the best, the supreme. But seeing the Buddha, the physical body of the Buddha, it's not yet seeing the Dhamma. If we think that in the Buddhist time, we'd be able to meet with the Buddha we still have to set our hearts on the practice to really train our minds with great sincerity, to wholeheartedly train the mind. So we come to, th we, th we should think that the Buddha is still here because the Buddha is still here. The Buddha did not go anywhere because the Buddha is in the Dhamma. When we see the Dhamma, we see the Buddha. We see the Buddha in the present. And therefore, we should make full and wholehearted effort in the present. So given that it's like this, we train and practice. We set our hearts on the practice. We see that uh, the wise have a saying that if it rained yesterday, it doesn't make us wet today. If it rains tomorrow, it doesn't, it doesn't make us wet today. When the sun rises yesterday, it doesn't bring light today. When the sun will rise tomorrow, it doesn't bring us light today. The sun has to rise in the present to give light in the present. And therefore, we should train and practice these minds of ours to give rise to wisdom, to give rise to light in the present. Because however much light we experience, it doesn't make the mind bright. Since we've been born, we've met with a great deal of light and illumination every day during the day. But has it made the mind bright and luminous? 
No, it hasn't, because it's not, because the mind doesn't have wisdom. The mind that doesn't have wisdom is dark. But to make the mind bright, one needs to have wisdom, to have knowing and insight. It's just like the Buddha declared in his first discourse, that knowledge has arisen, light has arisen, wisdom has arisen with regard to that which has not been heard before with regard to the Dhamma. That suffering is like this. The cause of suffering is like this. The end of suffering is like this. The path to the end of suffering is like this. This is that which the Buddha was able to know clearly, to see and understand clearly. And he was able to see like this, which no one else was able to do. In one life, a hundred lives, a hundred thousand lives, millions and millions of lives, no one had met with this path, this way to the end of suffering. And so for all of us, should, can we say that we have good fortune? We've been born as humans, we've met with the teachings of the Buddha. Even if we're physically far, we can still listen to the Dhamma of the Buddha. We have the opportunity to practice. We have this quality of faith, and we make that quality of faith grow. And those with uh, more faith can come ordain. That which is important is to have a strong body, this body which is still appropriate for Dhamma practice. It's ready and complete. It's ready in terms of time, in terms of age, in terms of place to grow in faith in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, to make faith firm and well-established. We have this belief that the Buddha realized the Dhamma, the Buddha awakened to the truth of reality. We have this belief, first and foremost, that the Buddha was an Arahant, fully awakened in reality. So this is something I believed before as well, I also believe that there are fully awakened disciples of the Buddha in the world, like Venerable Ajahn Man, Venerable Ajahn Chah, and a great many uh, great teachers and masters, some of which living, some of which already having entered Nibbana. So I had a lot of faith like this, and therefore we should strive and make effort in our Dhamma practice to know and see the Dhamma. When we listen to the Dhamma, we should listen well, listen intently in order to give rise to wisdom. We should set our hearts on it. If we don't apply our minds, then we don't see it. Just like the group of five ascetics, Venerable Anyakandanya applied his mind and he's able to see the Dhamma to realize stream entry. The other four ascetics didn't apply their minds and so they didn't see. Venerable Anya Kondanya was able to change his wrong views into right view. And just that much, he realized stream entry. And we can ask, well, is this realization of stream entry, is it difficult? It's not difficult, but in the beginning it can feel difficult. But then once we practice already, we see that stream entry is not difficult. And so we strive, we set our hearts on this strive to learn, to understand. 
just like to realize a, or to get a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a doctoral degree, one has to strive and apply oneself in one's studies. And one strives and applies oneself in one's work to make one's business successful, to make one's work prosper, to achieve various levels. This is something one is able to do. For instance, in one's uh, studies, one applies oneself to memorize, to learn, to know and understand things. And to do this, one needs to practice and train. One needs to have wisdom in terms of one's study, in terms of one's work. And so in terms of Dhamma practice, in terms of meditation, we set our hearts on the practice and that we really apply ourselves to the Dhamma practice and then we will be able to achieve results. And we have to practice the correct way to practice with right view. Again, we can look at the example of Diyaganaka Brahman, the long-nailed Brahman, the nephew of Venerable Sariputta. He had wrong view. And Venerable Sariputta is the right-hand disciple of the Buddha, foremost in wisdom. But still his nephew had wrong view. He had the view that whatever is pleasing to me, that's what I want. Whatever is displeasing to me, I don't want that. And he thought this view was very good, that it was correct. Whatever he liked, he wanted. Whatever he disliked, he didn't want. And so he was very comfortable with this view, really liked this view. But with this view, one would have to run away from that which one dislikes all the time. And actually, all of us are like that. I was like that myself. If I remember correctly, it was during my eighth range retreat. I really liked to sit in meditation. I really liked to contemplate to give rise to samadhi. I would think and contemplate that life is unsure, death is for sure. And then I would observe the in and out breathing, and I felt very full and happy, rapturous in my heart. But in terms of doing the, the evening chanting, I felt like it was a waste of time. I just wanted to sit and do walking meditation, wanted to sit in quiet and stillness. And I thought that this view of mine was good and correct. But one day I listened to the Dhamma of Venerable Ajahn Chah, and he said that whatever you cling to, that's what makes you suffer. And I contemplated on this point, and something truly amazing occurred. The mind gathered together. The mind gathered and thoughts disappeared. Rapture permeated the whole body. I was able to exit samadhi and I contemplated, or having exited from samadhi, I contemplated that whatever one clings to, that is where one suffers. And I already knew this teaching, but I still had clinging in the heart. I was walking the path of Dhamma had a lot of rapture and happiness in the mind. But her, hearing this teaching, understanding arose to a greater degree. 
I was able to let go. The mind gathered together to go to emptiness, to purity. This was understanding. Or whatever we cling to, then we let that go. Whatever mood or sense impression, for instance, if we cling to something from the past, it's something we see that that doesn't have value for us. We cling to it and it's something that doesn't give us benefit, like an old memory. We think that we like it, we cling to it, and we, or we don't like it, we cling to it. And if we cling to a memory we like, that's the path of indulgence and pleasure. If we cling to something, a memory we don't like, that's the path of self-mortification. So we practice to see these memories as impermanent, that these memories, these sanya, they're not stable, they're not lasting, that all these sense impressions are impermanent, suffering and not self. In the suttas, it teaches this very clearly, that any past form is not self. And we take a look at this, if this past form, or present form is not self, like the head of the, or hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin, or the 32 parts, we take a look at them, separate them out, we see that really there's nothing there, it's just emptiness. And then form of the past, whether it's from one minute ago, one hour ago, a day ago, a week ago, a year ago, or many years ago, all the way back until we were born, all of that is not self. And any form of the future, whether one minute in the future, one hour, one day, one month, one year, that is also not self. So any form in the present, past or future, we see it clearly in the present as not self and we let, let it go. We let go of the past, which doesn't have value, shouldn't be clung to, and we let go of the future. We change our wrong views to right view, to make the mind higher and better, to realize freedom from suffering. Because wherever we have clinging, there's suffering right there. There was one great master, Lumpu Pu Tao, a teacher of Venerable Ajahn Chah, and he said, Oh, be careful, Chah. If you think of anyone and you cling to them, you'll suffer right there. This was a short teaching, a brief teaching, like in a Zen style. Venerable Ajahn Chah contemplated this, was able to understand that, because his samadhi and wisdom was to at a very high level already. He was able to sit in samadhi and separate the mind from its objects. For instance, if there was external sounds, he could choose to hear them or not hear them because his samadhi was so well-established and firm. And so we see that the teachings of the Lord Buddha, they're, they're still here. 
the Dhamma is still here. And so we study and practice meditation to change our views gradually, bit by bit, to gradually accept the truth of the way things are, to see phenomena clearly, to see the Dhamma, to accept the truth, the Satcha Dhamma, to accept that all things are to accept old age, sickness, and death. And this is something that all noble, fully awakened beings, all arahants, have the wisdom to accept. And so we have to abandon uh, all of this. We see that in this world there's no one in charge. And we have to have to abandon everything in the world. Everything we like, we have to abandon. Everything we dislike, we don't even have to speak to that because we don't want it already. But all the things that we have, all the things that we are, for instance, this body, and all the things that we become or are, feel that we are, like a student, an employee, a boss, a worker, someone who's rich, someone who has a high position, someone with authority, all these things that we have or are, we have to abandon all of them because they're not here forever. When we contemplate like this, then weariness arises. We seek a way to escape, to realize full awakening in the end. And there was one individual with a great amount of parami, spiritual virtue, Having ordained, he returned to his uh, place of origin. And a king came up and asked him, well, why did you ordain? And that monk answered, I saw that in this world there is no one in charge. The world is in charge of itself. One must abandon everything. And the world is never satisfied. It's a slave to craving. And this, world, this word world, it means the mind. It doesn't mean the outer world, because the outer world is just natural elements. But it's speaking about this mind that has defilements covering it over, the mind that has greed, that has the worldly dhammas, the mind that's chasing after the worldly winds, gain and praise, fame and disrepute, loss and gain, pleasure and pain, and so on, just like this. And so the mind uh, chases after like this, and craving keeps increasing, tanha keeps increasing. Venerable Ajahn Chah taught that craving is like this. It's never full, it's never enough. It keeps on wanting more and more. It never closes itself off, it stops wanting. This is the nature of craving. So we contemplate like this and see the drawbacks of it. We come to practice and meditate to seek out purity of mind. Just like Diganaka Brahman, the long-nailed Brahman, he sought out a pure place to die. And he had the good fortune that he went to Vulture's Peak Mountain, where the vultures eat the dead bodies of animals near Rajagaha and is able to meet with the Buddha, 
as the Buddha saw Diganaka Brahman and knew he was coming, he was waiting, the Buddha was waiting in a cave there, which we call the uh, Sukarakata cave, or what we can translate as the Boar's Grotto cave. And Venerable Sariputta there was in that cave attending on the Buddha, and he had realized stream entry already at that point. And so Sari, Venerable Sariputta's nephew, Diganaka Brahman, came up to the Buddha, and then the, the Buddha asked the Brahmin, why did you come here? And he said, I'm seeking a place to die that's pure. And we see here that the Buddha is the teacher of devas and humans with the greatest wisdom, the greatest intelligence, the greatest ability to teach. And so here the Brahmin came and the Buddha told him that the number of times that you yourself has died in this location is beyond counting in the cycle of samsara. And hearing this, the Brahmin felt incredibly dispassioned because he wanted to find a place where no one had died. But then he found out that he himself had died there countless times. So he saw that this cycle of birth and death is vast indeed. And he had faith, had a lot of faith, because his uncle, Venerable Sariputta, was the attendant of the Buddha. And his uncle, Venerable Sariputta, was born into a very wealthy family. And he had discarded all that wealth in order to ordain under the Buddha. And so the Brahmin had faith. He had faith arise and was willing to listen to the Buddha. And so the Buddha asked him, he said, well, what views do you have, Brahman? And he answered, whatever is pleasing to me, that's what I want. Whatever is displeasing to me, that's what I don't want. And then the Buddha asked him, well, are old age, sickness, and death uh, pleasing or displeasing to you? And he said, well, they're displeasing. And the Buddha said, will you have to meet with them? And he said, yes, I will. And so the Buddha taught him, well, this view of yours is wrong. And the Brahmin didn't understand this. But then he realized, well, this old age, sickness and death, he didn't like them, he didn't want them, but he'd have to receive them. And not, or getting what he didn't want, that would be suffering. So seeing this, the Brahmin changed his view. His mind gathered together, sila, samadhi, and panya, virtue, collectedness, and wisdom gathered together. He was able to see the Dhamma. So we see that the Brahman Diganaka had samadhi. His mindfulness was ready in order to give rise to wisdom. We can say that the glass of water was full. And for, for ourselves, we're ready with faith, with uh, human birth, and therefore we strive to have effort to set our hearts on the practice to give rise to mindfulness and wisdom, to abandon wrong view, to cut off and destroy the view of self, Sakaya Didi, to make the mind still in samadhi in order to contemplate the body, to see the drawbacks in the body, 
to see the drawbacks in birth and death. And so generosity and virtue we have already, and they bring us happiness. So we practice and train like this, and we see that having this happiness from generosity and virtue, we still have birth and death, we still have samsara, we still have suffering, and this life and the next. And so therefore we come to practice. And one can undertake the brahmacharya, the celibate life. And this is something that lay people can do as well with the eight precepts, not to fall into liking or disliking, not to harm any being, but to train the mind to be still in samadhi and peace. And this is important in order to see the Dhamma, to understand the Dhamma. So we practice and train according to the Dhamma teachings in order to understand for ourselves to separate the body and the mind first, to see that this material form, this body, to see it for what it is. And in terms of mentality or Nama, it's difficult to contemplate. We bring the mind to peace and samadhi and then contemplate the body. And for myself, when I was uh, a younger monk, I wanted to contemplate the mind directly. I felt that I had a very good samadhi, but it was actually just uh, upajara samadhi. But I thought the samadhi was a lot. And so I wanted to contemplate the mind directly. But Venerable came and taught me to contemplate the body first. He told me to contemplate the body first, not to go ahead and think that I can contemplate the mind, but to wait on that first. He said, because I was still just a child. And so I followed Venerable Cha's instruction. At first I thought that I wanted to contemplate the mind, but I had great respect for my teacher. And so I followed his advice to contemplate the body. And I saw that this body must die, must degrade and pass away. And this led the mind to develop higher samadhi and stillness to grow. I saw the body as something unattractive, just composed of the four elements of earth, air, fire and water. And the mind became still. And this brought the mind to see the Dhamma, to understand the Dhamma uh, on a subtler level. Because I had already seen the Dhamma as a lay person already, saw that all the conditions in the world are all unstable, not lasting. Having been born, one must age, sicken and die, that there's no worth, no value to be found in it. That it was better to seek out that which is essential, that which is lasting. And therefore I put forth effort and strove in my practice. And so therefore may all of you contemplate and recollect that life is uncertain, death is for sure. All our lives must end in death. And so may you strive in your Dharma practice. And when we have time, we take that time and opportunity to 
set our hearts on practice. Like on this retreat, we practice during the retreat, and after the retreat as well, we continue practicing. And many of you are not ordained, but this is still something that you can do. And for those of you ordained as, already as well, as a layperson, I was able to see the Dhamma, so you can see it too. I wasn't a monk at that point. And seeing the Dhamma like this, there was rapture for three days and three nights continuously. This was a great miracle, something amazing coming from the Dhamma of the Lord Buddha. There was this fullness and great happiness in the heart. And this was rapture, caring for the mind and body. There was no hunger. It was like being a deva, because devas don't have hunger. They have this rapture uh, caring for their bodies. I'm sorry, they have this rapture caring for them because they don't have bodies. They have this fullness of heart only. This rapture caring for them. And Brahma gods, even to another level, they have rapture caring for them so that their minds can live in that realm. The energy and power of rapture uh, looks after the Brahma gods. Similarly, the devas have the merit not to be hungry, but if they want to eat, then they can. And so, as a human with these various organs, both large and small, having been born like this, then we set our hearts on the Dhamma practice to strive and put forth effort in order to see and understand the way to the end of suffering. So may you all grow in the practice and grow in blessings. <laughs>